Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Andrew Berberick, the co-founder of Baton. Andrew, what's going on, man? Just uh, you know, surviving in a pandemic. We had some wildfires. Uh, yeah, just, just trying to trying to make our way through all of this. So in San Francisco, you're in the heart of a lot of venture capital. You have spent a couple of years working around technology, and you decided to move into trucking. What really drove that decision? <laughs> um, well, the, the unofficial answer is Craig Fuller did. Uh, you actually were a huge component of that for me. But um, yeah, my, my business partner and I spent about a year studying different industries, and our goal was to find you know major inflection points that we could we could build a, a business around, um, and transportation just happened to be probably the one that, that was going through the most change when we were looking. So when you think about uh, what Baton aspires to be, you want to describe a little bit more of your business model. We've had you on here before. In terms of disclosure, I am an advisor to the company, so for the folks that are interested in knowing uh, a little bit more, uh, they can certainly go to the website. But describe a little bit more about what it is that Baton does what you guys are doing in the market. Yeah, so Baton's mission is to eliminate wasted time in trucking. And when I, when I say that, I, there's actually three categories of waste. So the first is you know, the one that I think everyone talks about, that's, uh, that's dwell at the facility, um, that's, that's detention, it's just dwell hell. Um, but there's other two, uh, two other sources that are uh, equally bad or if not worse. And um, one is dwell in transit, um, and then the other is, is inter-appointment dwell. That's the time a driver waits uh, for their backhaul. And the way we go after this problem is we operate a tech-enabled network of drop zones that we place in and around major metro areas uh, where instead of driving and waiting at a warehouse, a line haul carrier, our customer, will come in and stage and pick up fully loaded trailers. And then we optimize the final P&D with a network of local drivers. You're basically like a drain network for an over-the-road trucking company. That's a good way of thinking about it. I think people have uh, people have come up with different terms. There's a, we call it intermodal for line haul trucking, um, but similar, yeah. So basically, you've got these drop centers set up in major metros. You're able to take the trailer and deliver it to the the endpoint destination. Correct. Yep. And you're also doing pickup. For those uh, as well, right? Yeah, so we're actually we're about to do a press release on this, but what we found is pickup enables efficiencies that we weren't previously aware of. Um, so the press release is going to be on a new product offering we call Elastic Trucking. Um, but basically, in today's current market, by doing pickup, we can go pick up freight ahead of time. That allows that that really allows line haul carriers to to move more freight uh, per week and reject less tenders. So basically, they can stage the uh, freight similar if they had their own yard dog or local truck that was shuttling trailers around a major metropolitan center. They can have it so when the driver comes into uh, that metropolitan area, they have a fully loaded trailer ready to go. Exactly. When you describe elastic trucking, what is elastic trucking? Um, basically, the, the way to think about it is uh, we want to give carriers the ability to dynamically flex their capacity and their ability to move freight um, on a short notice. And so if you can think about uh, one of our you know, partners is a major Walmart service provider, and Walmart will literally send them tenders within six hours of when those need to be picked up. And 
they don't have a driver available. Let's say that driver is in Colorado. Um, so instead, they can just uh, ping our system, and we'll go get that ahead of time, and then it's it's ready for that driver. Um, and what that allows them to do is reject significantly less freight for for Walmart. Andrew, how do you guys make money? What's the what's the business model? We charge per turn, and so our our goal is to maximize the efficiency of our local our local drivers, um, and such that we can actually make a profit off of that. So the the idea is to really drive inefficiencies out of the an over the road trucking business, which. You think about how many hours drivers are sitting on either the origin or destination. It's really to eliminate all of that uh, time that they're they're not running and putting miles. And I think in an environment where there's a lot of demand and carriers have a choice of rejecting loads, you're giving them the optionality to not have to do that. Exactly. That's uh, that's the goal. So when we think about where this goes from here, you, you've been working with a number of the large uh, over-the-road long-haul trucking companies. Is that really the core uh, audience for this particular model? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the, the short answer is no. The, the strategy that we're taking is, is similar to the, it's like I call it the Tesla approach, but you basically start with people that understand the model. So these line, these large carriers actually operate this model in areas where they have high freight density, and we're able to expand their footprint and help them grow market share. But what that allows us to do is by building density with the large carriers, we can democratize the model for the smaller guys. So the really the, the carrier provides you guys with the trailer. So you've got, you've got a trailer that you can access through the carrier uh, they're a pool, and essentially you're doing uh, basically the pickup. Is your driver waiting? The drivers that's that's associated with Baton is it waiting at the dock for that freight to be loaded? Um. So yeah, basically our our partners will come and stage uh, trailers, and then they'll. Um, but basically ahead of time, when we start working together, they have to seed a trailer pool of, of about five to 10 trailers. And um, over time, our drivers are really just getting loads and they're, they're constantly moving. Um, did that answer your question or? Well, I, I was wanting to know a little bit deeper about um, what, in terms of just not just dropping the trailer off at a shipper, is there more that you're involved in the actual pickup? Are you guys, is the driver that's shoveling the truck, the trailer over to the shipper, is he sitting there and waiting for that trailer to be loaded? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, great question. Um, no, because we're local, we can actually do um, round robins. So we can come in and instead of our driver sitting and inheriting all of the waste the line haul truck would, we can leave that trailer to be preloaded and then we can go do other moves um, and then come back and get it when it's ready. So you charge a transactional model, and is that transactional model based on a minimum or a certain amount of miles, or how do you how do you number of hours involved in the transaction? Yeah. So currently, it's uh, it's basically a fixed fee based on uh, distance from our drop zone and um, I, whether it's a live or, or preload, and then. Uh, over time, we're, we are starting to work towards a pre-reserved capacity model where if, if we get notice ahead of time, the rates are going to be lower um, versus the, the last minute sub 24 hour elastic trucking type model, which is 
Um, also an offering, but that's that's more of a premium. I mean, it seems that the elastic model, at least when I was in, in trucking, offers you guys a, a, a nice opportunity to make a little bit more money and frankly the carrier where price isn't uh, really a consideration in these last minute moves. If you can simply get the load picked up and uh, get capacity, then that actually there's a lot of opportunity for people to take advantage of that. A hundred percent. I mean, we're seeing rates that are 200, 300 percent. They're, you know, 2019 equivalents. And so there's, there's opportunities for these carriers to go get super high margin freight last minute that no one else could get. I mean, right now in places like Southern California, rates are, you know, up in certain lanes, $2.50, $3 a mile. Um, and this is, as you mentioned, two to three X what we saw last year in some cases. But the nice thing also is on these last minute loads is while the average may be $3 a mile, when I, at least when I was running on-demand trucking, we were seeing rates that were in the, you know, you name your price. Uh, I mean, it was pretty <laughs> ridiculous what we could get uh, away with, if you will, in the market. And I think shippers needed the capacity. They needed it right then. And having available capacity meant that I could take advantage of the opportunity. And frankly, it was a win-win. I mean, shippers would argue that they didn't like being XD'd was the term they would use, but they understood that they needed to move the freight. It was obviously they weren't required to use it, but it was a service that offered them a lot of optional capacity. 100%. I mean, there's such an interest. I, mean, I think we're in such an interesting time right now in the freight market. Um, this is a capacity crunch that I think is it's pretty unprecedented. Um, not, you know, it's not just the typical holiday spike, but what's, what's happening is if shippers, if, if carriers are rejecting freight for shippers, those shippers have to go turn to the spot market and it's a free for all there. So if we can help them move more freight with, with their contracted partners, those are still oftentimes, that's, that's oftentimes even cheaper than them going to the spot market. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, when I think about the fact that, that really this elastic model of on-demand capacity uh, what type of service that does. And also in a market where there is really tight capacity, you know, the biggest thing that a trucking company has to be worried about is about their driver. Because you can get the freight and you can get high rates. That stuff is available to you. I don't think anyone would deny that. But the question is, how do you get the drivers and keep those drivers? And so having a driver sit at a dock waiting for a load is, or waiting for a load to a truck, uh, trailer to be unloaded is one of the worst uses of their time. And I don't care if you're paying attention or not. They don't enjoy sitting at these docks. 100%. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think people need to be thinking about the driver lifestyle in, in you know, good times and bad times. Um, but right now, such an interesting time because, uh, you know, during COVID, fewer CDLs were issued. And so there's fewer drivers on the road, fewer drivers getting hired. And it's, it's not, it is a capacity crunch, but it's, it's, we're seeing a driver shortage underneath that. So if you're taking your prize drivers and you're, you're telling them, you know, they just joined and now they're sitting in line, not really making much money, um, they're going to go somewhere else. And so and, how can we design a better lifestyle? Andrew, are you disclosing some of the names of the carriers that you work with? Um, two of them are under NDA, but we're also partnered with Bison Transport and CRST. Got it. So two, you know, typically long haul carriers, Bison being a Canadian carrier, there's a lot of cross border, uh, uh, and then CRST being one of the largest team operating uh, carriers with the largest number of teams. It certainly makes sense because they're running those east to west lanes 
and west to east, depending on your perspective. Um, and so that certainly makes sense for, the, for CRST because they um, run these power lanes and they want to keep their drivers moving, particularly the teams. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, I think the, the pain point for a team driver is, or a, a team operation is significantly worse. Um, and so that we've, we found a pretty good niche there with, with CRST where we're able to help them definitely improve the driver experience for two drivers. Hey, you've got a couple of other carriers you work with. You don't disclose the names, but any um, discussion on volumes just overall for the business that you guys have moved beyond sort of the incubation stage to actually starting to scale the business? Yeah, so uh, it's been a really interesting time. We went from in the in the heart of COVID, moving um, about one or two loads per week, and now we're at about thirty with plans to get to about seventy five per day um, in the Los Angeles market. So we've been growing really fast, um, and, and that's all been in about four month, four or five months. Andrew, do you credit that really with COVID? I mean, is the capacity, the post, I don't, I, I say post, but I, we're still in it. So we're I don't know, yeah. like I, I've used that term a few times on our network and in different interviews and I'm like post COVID, but the reality is we're still in COVID and we may not get out for some time, but, but really post quarantine, do, I mean, do you credit a lot of the volume with the recovery uh, that's taken place and the capacity crunch? Is that really what's driving the opportunities for you guys? You know, it's interesting. I think in the, right now, some of the new opportunities we're getting, uh, definitely that's the case, but our current customer base was, was formed when COVID, when, when the capacity crunch wasn't there. And, you know, I credit these customers as super forward thinking. These are people that are looking at how do we design, you know, build us, incorporate this strategically so that we can use it when capacity is low. Um, but also when the market, you know, softens up. So these, you know, I think about Bison and some of our other partners, these, these are people that are looking for a year-round solution. Now, earlier this year, last year, J.B. Hunt rolled out their 360 box, uh, the box 360, which basically uh, we described on Freightways as a uh, really mode agnostic capacity network, which was the ability to take this trailer that could move not only under J.B. Hunt power or the railroad power, but could also move uh, under owner operator capacity or uh, line haul, other com you know, competitive truckload line haul capacity. When you think about what you've done is actually, in many ways, the opposite side of the equation is you're actually helping solve what I would consider that last mile, that drayage portion of that move, not the trailer itself. I mean, do you think at some point we're gonna see a, a scenario where there is a virtual capacity network where someone basically, they, they uh, outsource the trailer itself and actually outsource the truck itself, the line haul, and basically picks it? I mean, do we see that world where this is an opportunity for freight brokers potentially to play inside of this, this, this environment? Oh, that's fascinating. That's such a cool concept. Um, let me think about that for one second. I mean, having yeah, assets, I mean, like if you think about yeah. the biggest sort of issue for freight brokers is they don't own assets. They don't control the asset. Yep. But if you control yep. the capacity network, if you have access to both the DRE and you sort of control that, and then you can access all of the sort of tools around line haul movement, it seems like that is, is something that potentially could be of, of a lot of value. 
Yeah, I do see a shift towards that. Um, I think we you know our model is it's going to take a while for us to be really easy to work with on the broker side. We've we've done some work with Nolan Transport Group um, out of Atlanta, and I it's a really interesting concept. I think. Uh, it, it's driven from many forces. Um, so you see a, 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 sh a shift from the shipper side for more drop rate. And in order to keep up with that, um, brokers are going to have to adopt some sort of trailer pool strategy and some sort of local strategy. Um, and maybe that's a virtualized one. Um, well, that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. When we move into an autonomous world, a world where yep. uh, there's sort of this theory that, you know, the first, sort of autonomous uh, uh, rollout or, or driverless trucks will be on highway because you can control the environment much better than an urban center. I mean, it seems like this, your infrastructure can enable those sort of drop and hook, put it on the autonomous truck on, on the highway and then drop it into a yard to do the final mile. Seems like that may be a model uh, that would actually work well in an autonomous and driverless environment. 100%. And that's the, that's the end goal. Um, you know, with autonomy, it's not about when will it happen first. It's about where will it happen first. And you're absolutely right. Um, I, I see autonomy happening on highways only long before they're, they're, these trucks are going in and out of cities. So we are positioning ourselves as the autonomous interchange hub where we'll still use human local drivers, but you know, we're talking with some of the, the largest AV trucking companies out there about piloting and, and working towards this model. Andrew, capital raising is obviously uh, an important thing for a startup like yourself. Uh, you guys did raise some seed capital from investors. You know, ABC is an investor, Prologis is an investor. Um, what does that look like for you in terms of next round funding? Uh, how are you thinking about your opportunity to build the business? Yeah, so early, we'll, we'll do a series. Like our goal right now is to do a series A early next year. Um, we are very intentionally strategic about the type of types of investors we work with. I, I think we're um, we are very grateful to have folks like Prologis and APC in our current round um, or backing us right now because they, un, you know, they they understand freight and they've been able to connect us with pretty incredible advisors and customers. Um, so we're going to look for other folks like that uh, early next year and, and hopefully grow the business from there. Do you have the no asshole rule? That's my rule. Is I, I won't take capital yes. from people I don't want to deal with. And uh, yeah. it was interesting. We, we brought a new board member uh, to Freight Waves, uh, Rhiannon. Uh, which, yeah, she just joined us this week. But when she was meet, she met all of our board members. And she goes, these are some of the nicest board members, institutional capital uh, folks that I've worked with. She sort of talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of times you have an institution, you get these sort of egos and, uh, and they can be jerks, but but in this environment, that that wasn't the case. And and she was complimenting the board. And I said, well, you know, I won't take full credit for doing that, but we do have a no asshole rule that if I get frustrated with someone and you know they become a jerk when I'm trying to negotiate term sheets or get them in the business, why why would I want them on my cap table? Yep, I think that's a really 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 uh, good point. The I mean, it's surprising to me that you know you these companies that put so much effort into hiring great employees, building a great culture, working with people they care about, but you're married to your investors. Um, you're married, they're your partners effectively for life. So if you're working with someone that's not cooperative or doesn't really see the vision, um, that's, that's a, you can't, you can't break up from that. So I think uh, having a, a degree of thoughtfulness around the partners you choose is super important.
Well, it's easier to get divorced than be a founder and get rid of your investors because, frankly, you, you can't. And it's not like working for a business and having the opportunity to quit the job and go work for somebody else. I mean, for most founders, you know, the majority, if not all of their net worth is tied up in the equity of the company. And if you've raised money from someone you don't want to work with, uh, or it isn't supportive, uh, or is flighty, or, or you know, emotional. It it really creates a strain on your happiness and satisfaction with the business. Now we've been fortunate, as I've said, but there have been times where you do have tough conversations. Your board will have tough conversations with you, and as a founder, you may have co tough conversations with your board uh, because you may not agree on direction. And I think having the support to say, at the end of the day, I may not agree but we're all in this together, we're aligned, we all want the same thing, which is this really successful, valuable company, it's important to pick those investors. I completely agree, and um, I mean, especially I think in the freight world, right? This is a world that's very counterintuitive. There's cyclicality, um, a, lot of, a lot of things that don't behave like traditional technology companies. And so having investors that have the patience um, and um, desire to, to trust you, uh, I think is, is absolutely critical to build anything of, of true value here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting time. Freight has never been this sexy as it is now. Uh, and a post-COVID, I keep going back to the term post, we, get, we need to come with a better term, maybe post-quarantine world. But you're, aren't you guys Ooh, yeah. still in quarantine? Are you still in quarantine <laughs> out there? Uh, technically, yeah, yeah. Okay, we, so, um, yeah. Post-quarantine world, uh, we're in an environment where logistics supply chain has, has never been more important. People are now aware of it. I, I was talking to somebody earlier today that was talking about the fact that we were sort of just lamenting and, and really, or maybe not lamenting, but celebrating the fact that logistics and transportation and supply chain has become so important. People now are aware of what it is, whereas before they weren't. And I, I said, look, it's like your power company you don't think about the power company until the power's out. And that's exactly because logistics works so well, you don't think about it unless you're in it. Wow, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. It's, I mean, especially I think when we saw the, the essentials spike right after March, um, when everyone was, there was a mad rush to go to the grocery store and grab you know, toilet paper or food. Um, yeah, that was a, I mean, you, you completely, outside of that, you've completely forgot that there's this, everything around you, was moved on a truck at one point. Um, and it's this invisible, you know, underbelly of our economy, not underbelly, but like, uh, you know, foundation of our economy. I mean, they're the quiet heroes in many ways. I mean, the, the truck drivers, they're the always responders, they're always the ones that are out doing the job and they don't really get celebrated that often. I think one of the things about the quarantine and, and, and sort of the COVID capacity crisis and the COVID supply chain crisis is that, all of a sudden, people were celebrating uh, the truck drivers and the uh, logistics professionals and, frankly, the frontline workers. Grocers were also uh, getting a lot of accolades. And I think that's, that's really special. It's a special time, obviously, being an insanely crazy time. So, Andrew, what's next for you guys? Where, where does this business, you've got an operation in L.A., where else can people take advantage of uh, Baton? Yeah, so uh, basically the, the strategy right now is to build as much density as possible in LA and, and make sure we're delivering quality there. Early next year, we'll, we'll uh, reopen Atlanta. Um, we, were, we were live there and we, we had to wait list um, some new demand. And um, from there, I, I think we'll do Chicago and just start going after different you know, major metro areas. Um, 
really with the goal of, of helping people democratize and get access to, to this efficient model. So whenever you want to open up the 60 major U.S. markets that we used to do at XD within six hours of on-demand transportation, call me and I'll give you the list of those cities. Because that was, you know, that was basically 98% of the freight is in these 60 major U.S. markets is, is what we were able to, to see, particularly when there's very tight capacity. It's probably even less when you think about super tight markets, you know, maybe 20, 25 markets. Yep. Yeah, we'll definitely call you. Um, <laughs> you're the one that has all the, I mean, it's pretty incredible you've had that experience. Well, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it only works on this one network. Most of the knowledge uh, doesn't win me many points at the trivia at the bar or anything like that. But here in freight, <laughs> it's a lot of tribal knowledge and a lot of pain that uh, you go through in the industry. And, and look, I, I think that's, you know, what I love about this industry and I know that you, you've been in it and, and, and experiencing this is just how excited the logistics industry is in terms of thinking differently about their business, how competitive it is and dynamic, uh, and frankly, how responsive it is. I mean, you know, I think one of the remarkable things that you shared with me, and I did not realize until you said it, is just how much scale you guys have, have gone over the last couple of months from really almost no freight uh, on a daily basis to, as you mentioned, doing as many as 75 loads a day. Yeah, no, it's, um, I actually really like the, the point that you said there. There is a lot of tribal knowledge and I think, I think people are very forward thinking and open to new things and we've been grateful for that. Um, it's interesting because I think, I think a lot of, I mean, I come from the technology world and I'm very humbled. Um, and I, I've, we've taken the approach to find people that really know freight, um, to teach us as much as we can, but, I think, I think technology has had a, a difficult time coming in here and trying to approach freight like traditional technology companies. And, and I think you, you really have to marry the two. You have to take the, the technology mindset, but um, you have to marry that with, with people that actually understand what they're doing here because it's very, very counterintuitive. Andrew, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to hear about the elastic capacity, elastic freight network that you guys are building. I think it's, it's pretty awesome. Certainly a service that uh, I think the market will accept, particularly in a very tight market. And I think if you're concerned about your drivers and worried about uh, keeping them running, which every carrier should be, eliminating uh, detention and eliminating uh, unnecessary dwell should be the top, a top priority. So whether it's Baton or other solutions, let's keep those drivers running and keep them off the docks. Uh, Andrew, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Craig. How really can people it. reach? How can people reach you or find out more? Yeah, email us at info at baton, uh, .io, um, or add me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, definitely get a hold of us. Sort of a fitting URL: baton in out .io in out. So, anyways. Uh, Andrew, appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming on Full Speed Ahead. If you're interested in this content or other content related to freight waves and what's happening in supply chain logistics, be sure to download the FreightWaves TV app. You can find it on Apple. You can find it through the iTunes store, on the Android store, or on Roku devices. It's on some TVs directly. You can get it through your Roku app store. Be sure to do that. We also have a number of live virtual events that are coming up through the rest of the year and into next year. That's right, folks. We're not going to be doing in-person events for a couple of months at least, but we do have content right here on FreightWaves TV that you can stream in to our virtual events. So be sure to do that. 
lots of topics, everything from the cold chain to Freightways Live to a whole conversation about venture capital. We're bringing in about 40 VCs to talk about venture capital investing in freight. That is on November 4th. You can remember that's the day after the presidential election. So be sure to tune into that, as well as all of the other virtual conferences we have here on Freightways TV.